Uh, but we're in Romans 12, and to give you a little overview of where we're going uh, with this. And my wife thinks I'm a little ambitious, and I probably am because there's a lot of scripture to go through. But some of the things that have, have been on my heart lately um, that I've wanted to talk about, um, haven't had the opportunity uh, to do that in a while. And it, a lot of it gets brought up and has been brought up with the differing opinions uh, within our wider society. You, we seem to be polarized on a lot of different issues. Uh, whether that was recently with uh, the political candidates and one side says this, one side says this, trying to make one political party fit everybody, and that's not the case. We all have uh, differing viewpoints on different things, and we think this thing about this person or this thing about that person, and sometimes that conflicts with somebody else. Um, it might be the masking policy, following the travel restrictions. We've uh, been doing our best to abide uh, by submission to the authorities, and we're going to read a portion of that this morning as well in Romans 13 and talk a little bit about that. Um, but where I would uh, want to stay more focused on is going to be in chapter 14, which talks about passing judgment on one another. Uh, and that uh, I see far too often, uh, which it shouldn't be in the church, is people are at odds with one another, and we both know Christ. We're believers. We've been sanctified by the by the blood of Jesus, but we don't always live like that, uh, and we don't all aren't always kind as we should be, and forgiving, and trying to listen and be patient with others. And so we're going to look at Scripture uh, this morning and, and what that has to say about it. But first, we're going to go through twelve Romans twelve, where it talks about. Living sacrifice. Paul has just gone through in the chapters prior talking about Christ, talking about what God has done, what their new life is like um, apart from sin, not living like the world. He's telling them all the precious things that God has done on their behalf and how they are changed and how they can trust in the Lord and their lives are different. And so Paul begins chapter 12 with this and appeal to them. He says, Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Sacrifice was a big part of the life of believers. If you look at the Old Testament, you see sacrifice, the sacrificial system of uh, covering for sins, of covering for specific things in their lives, of giving God offerings of thanks uh, through different things. You'll see that in the Old Testament, the Israelites. Um, but here Paul isn't saying that. He's saying to live your life as a living sacrifice. It is our spiritual worship. This is what we are commanded to do. If we are believers, we are to live our lives as a living sacrifice. And sacrifice is to give up something for the benefit of others. Christ sacrificed his life. He gave up his life for us to benefit us, to honor what God had called him to do, and that was to lay his life down and be propitiation for our sins. And he calls us, Paul and Romans, calling the Roman church to do this as well, to be 
a living sacrifice. And later on, he's going to show them, and we'll look at that in 15, where he says, look, this is what Christ has done for you. And he's already taken them through portions of that in prior chapters. But he's telling them, don't be, in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In uh, the Bible, it tells us elsewhere, if you uh, read Peter in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, Peter's talking to the dispersed exiles in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and he tells them this as well as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Quoting other scripture, quoting from the Old Testament, coming from Leviticus, and uh, where God is giving commandments, and he's telling the Israelites, this is what you should and shouldn't do. Now, we don't follow all of those commandments uh, that are there. Some of them continue on, some of them don't. Um, and, and you can look at those and think about what applies and doesn't apply. But for this morning, simply want to focus on what God said. He said, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. Be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I, the Lord, have brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. The commandment to be holy hasn't changed. Um, the specific thing of not defiling yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground has changed. Um, Peter him, himself, uh, one of the things that would be considered unholy was the Gentiles at the time in the Old Testament. Don't Gentiles, that would be us, if you're not Jewish, were seen as unclean. Um, but uh, Paul writes about that. He writes a lot of times to the Gentiles. Peter was informed about that in the vision he has of the sheep coming down and the unclean animals and the clean animals and God telling him what I have made clean is clean. Talking about um, us as Gentiles coming into the fold of Christ. Christ's life was given for all people. But he calls us to be holy, and so Paul here in verse 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we do that? Paul tells us, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So how do we live lives that are different? He says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Paul not only writes this to the Roman church, he writes this to the other churches as well. He writes it to the Colossian church. He writes it to the Philippians church. Um, and if we have time, we'll look at that passage. But Philippians 2 talks about Christ's example, exactly what he has done for us. Uh, a good example of thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think, uh, you can look at Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
Uh, I have taught on that before years ago, but it's a simple parable that Christ teaches uh, and talks about two people have come into the temple and pray, and you have one who is a Pharisee who comes in before and comes to pray, and you have another who is a tax collector who they are despised, they are looked down upon, uh, not very uh, generously with other people. Um, and so the Pharisee's prayer is, thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. He's thinking of himself more highly than he ought to. But the tax collector, his prayer is, I am a sinner, forgive me. And Jesus in the parable says the tax collector is the one who goes home, who has been justified before God. He recognizes who he is. He's a sinner before God. We're not perfect. The Pharisee is looking at his own life. Oh, I thank you that I'm not like this person. But God calls us to live our lives uh, for others. It's a life of service, just as Christ came to live his life as a life of service. And so Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. <clears throat> for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, verse 4, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What does that bring to your mind? One body? Who else did he write that to? Famous uh, passage in Scripture we are often recognized with the church of Corinth where they're struggling with these things. And, and Paul, when we talk about the different gifts, Paul specifically outlays that best in Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Uh, he says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It's another portion of not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. He says this, uh, look uh, at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service uh, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He's saying whatever measure God has given you, use it to the best of your abilities, uh, in taking part of being a member of one body, a member of Christ. Uh, he is the head. Paul tells that uh, in Corinthians as well. Uh, many members, but one body. He uses the analogy of um, our body. He says the, the hand can't say to the foot and the eye can't say to the ear, whatever the case may be. We need all of our parts of our body working in order. Otherwise, it makes it very difficult to do anything. All right, Those that have had accidents and something gets jumbled in the brain and it doesn't send the right signals to different parts of their body have difficulties doing the things that they would have normally have done before with ease. And, and Paul's likening that same thing to the church. When we're not functioning right, or if we're at odds with one another, or things are going on, we're not living out our lives in service to others. If we're thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, then we're hurting. He told the Corinthians this in verse 26 of chapter 12. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're all in this together. 
just brought a song to my mind. I think it's from High School Musical. Um, but we're, we're all in this together. Not, each of us isn't an island unto ourselves. As much as some of us want that to be the case sometimes, um, to be left alone, to, to not have to interact, to do different things, um, to not let people into our lives. Sometimes it's people just see the exterior, they don't see the interior. But God calls us to live our lives together with one another in concert to him in giving him praise in all that we do. So Paul goes on to marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That would be a good verse or set of verses to learn even for this year, even amidst all the things. We're still called to do all of, all of these things. They may look different, but we're still called to be all of these things to, to the world and to our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on to say, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul, essentially there in that portion, tells us how to live a life uh, of sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. How do we do it? We do these things. He pra practically is saying this. He says, let love be genuine. Love genuinely. Does that come naturally? Absolutely not. Uh, he's calling us to live a life that is unnatural. Uh, because these aren't things that just happen by chance. Um, it comes by a life that has in, been impacted by the life of Christ who has done all of these things for us. And his love that fills us overflows into our lives in the way we view other people, in the way we talk to other people, in the way we interact with other people. And what we put our finances to, it impacts all of our lives. So that we can do these things, even to the point of saying what he has said, which echoes Christ's words in Matthew 5. When he's giving uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says uh, in chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 38, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that's how they, they live their lives. And yet he's saying, No. That isn't the right way. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him also. Don't repay evil for evil. He's saying live unnaturally. Your first instinct is to give something back. But live unnaturally. Live different. Show why you're different. Because you're living out uh, your life in Christ. Um, further down, he says, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's unnatural. He's asking us to live an unnatural life. He's asking us to live a life as a living sacrifice, giving up. Our rights, what we think we deserve, in benefit to others. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our best example of that, obviously, is Christ and the life that he lived and all the things that have happened to him. And rightfully, he could have said so many times. Uh, I heard one uh, pastor speaking about that this week. Um, in his sermon, at what point Christ could have said at all of these moments, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And he could have listed off who he was. Look, I was here before the world even began. I am the great I am. At the, the snap of my fingers, I can have a host of angels around me. But he gave up those things. He could have at, at any point done those things, but he gave up his rights for us. And so he is our example. So then Paul gets to, to 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Um, one of the things uh, in the Roman church that they deal with, obviously, is the Romans and all of their different rules. In fact, in AD 49, they say that uh, I believe it was uh, Claudius at the time, actually had all the Jews removed from uh, Rome. They had to disperse. They, they went out. Um, and these are some of the things that, that Paul is writing into as well, because you have uh, the Jews that have left. You have a young church that is growing up there. This is a Gentile church. Um, some Jews are coming back in later. They're going to have put some heads on some things. We think this, we think this, and we'll read that in 14. But before we get there, he, he gets to this about uh, loving not just uh, everybody, your enemies and everything, but he said this is how we live our lives. How do we live our lives uh, for the world to see that we are different? Well, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And there's a lot wrapped up in here, and this is one of those areas that I asked you to read and look at when we were talking about uh, the masking update order and the travel restrictions, and Pastor Davis and I were looking at, are we going to follow those things? Are we going to continue what we were doing, which was if you want to mask, mask. If you don't, don't, but be respectful of of others that are in the congregation and their desires. Um, and so uh, we settled on, after reading and looking at these things, and input from the congregation, look, we are subject to the authorities. This is not an issue, and, and this is where I want to be clear. This isn't the authorities going against the Word of God. There is a time to stand up um, and obey God. We see that in Scripture. That goes against what the authorities have said. Um, and that is scriptural. So uh, in Acts 5, Pastor Davis went over this, where you have the apostles that are going about and preaching, and they're, they're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, and they get thrown in jail, and they're, they're brought before the authorities, and they say, look, stop preaching. And they go, no, we're not going to stop preaching. We 
are to obey God rather than men. Yes, there are times for that to happen. We're not in those times yet. We're not there yet. That's not to say that might not come. And when it comes, yes, there will be a time where, where we may make a statement where we say, this is something that we need to, to not follow, to detract, detract from. But we're not at that point. They're not, at this point in our current situation, we're abiding by the authorities. Um, this is, uh, they're using their best judgments to stop the, 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 the curve, however it is. And it's been a lot longer than we wanted it to be, but it is what it is. And God's still in it. And God still is going to see us through it. He hasn't left us. Uh, just as, as Paul gives instructions here for them. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you must also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. <clears throat> taxes may be a sore point for some people, um, and it might have been for the Roman church as well. They're taxing us this money. We need to pay this. And some of them might have been saying, hey, we don't want to do this. Or we don't want to follow what they are saying. Or we don't want to do this. And, and Paul lays down uh, what God's desire is for us. Even as Jesus himself, uh, when the Pharisees tried to plot against him, and again, in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, talking about taxes, um, they ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, bring me a, a denarius. What, what image is on that? Well, it's Caesar's. Render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. Um, Christ did not come to overthrow the government. We're not here to overthrow the government. We're here to be a light in a dark world and impact uh, those that are around us. And we do that by living differently, by living unnaturally, uh, and uh, giving God the glory and honor for the things uh, that happen in our lives. Uh, in your bulletins, uh, if you took one, there is uh, another paper in there that I put in there, and that's for you guys to take home and look at, and it deals with the sovereignty of God. And this is sometimes where difficulty comes in. Um, when we talk about, here Paul wrote, look, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. But sometimes we have issues, what about bad rulers? What about rulers that uh, are in opposition to God? What, what, what is going on? And so uh, in, in those instances, what we're talking about is the sovereignty of God. The Holman Bible Dictionary says this, Biblical teaching that God possesses all power and is the ruler of all things. God rules and works according to his eternal purpose, even through events that seem to contradict or oppose his rule. 
we see that, uh, and, and some of it, and, and that paper lists some of the things for you to look at if you might be struggling with that. What about God's sovereignty and man's free will? Yes, we make decisions. Yes, we need to live by those consequences. Um, you have hard things in Scripture where it talks about Pharaoh's heart is being hard. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Well, God didn't just necessarily, there's no redemption for Pharaoh. Pharaoh already was opposed and away from God. He, there was no interest in being uh, a follower of Christ. God isn't acting against Pharaoh's will. He's actually just reinforced part of it. And so uh, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, some of these things come up. Um, and so uh, that's further review for you guys to look at and some of the things that happen. But we believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that nothing surprises him, that nothing is outside of his purview. He sees everything, and he knows everything. And even though evil may be happening and occurring, he is still working through that. Scripture tells us that. What, when Pastor Davis went through the story of Joseph, Joseph telling his brothers, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. It brought us to this point here. God worked through that situation. Look, he didn't, God didn't make his brothers do all of those things. That was of their own free will. That's what they chose to do. But God worked in the circumstances to bring about that Joseph would be at the place that he was at, at the time that he was at, to provide for all of Israel in the time that they were going to be at, to bring them through all of that. God works through all those things sovereignly. Um, and some things are, are still just a mystery to us of how all of this works together. But the fact remains, God is in control. That does not change. Even as Paul says, there's no authority except from God. God is the one who gives authority. In the Old Testament, you read that he gave authority for uh, those uh, kingdoms to come and overthrow Israel because of their rebellion. Sometimes God allows those difficult things as punishment. That's the consequence of your action. But we still need to trust God through it. And sometimes we need to come back to God in repentance. Um, and that is one of the things uh, we have been talking about lately uh, as we talk about revival for the church. We, as a nation, need to repent. Uh, we need to come before God and repent for, for the sins. Uh, the, our sins, but the sins of our nation, the sins of our government, the sins of... Uh, killing millions of babies each year because of the inconvenience of birth. It's a tragedy. It's not any different than looking back in the Old Testament and seeing kingdoms that would sacrifice babies to their gods. It's the same thing, just done differently, packaged neatly for America to look at and say, hey, it's fine, it's okay, but it's, it's really not. He goes further in 13, and you can read that at another time, but fulfilling the law through love. Uh, but I want to go to uh, chapter 14. So if you're following along, uh, you can flip over to 14. And here Paul is dealing with uh, two things. He talks about those that are strong in their faith and, and those are, that are weak in, in their faith. Um, and this is where I, I want to spend uh, some time uh, this morning. 
And as I mentioned, what you have is you have a, a Gentile church in, in Rome, and you have Jews at this time are now coming back into Rome after the uh, order has already been executed, time has passed, they're coming back into the church. Uh, you have issues where they're seeing things go on, and they're like, no, this isn't right, or you shouldn't be doing this, or Gentiles, uh, you need to be circumcised. You had those of the circumcision party, or you had... Uh, you can't eat that. That's unclean food because they're still following some of their Jewish ceremonial laws and different things that are going on. And, and you have butting heads in the church. Um, you had it in you had it in almost every church that is is written to in uh, the New Testament, where you have believers who are at odds with one another. And how do we deal with that? Paul, uh, you know, writing to the Corinthians is is one of the the Big, biggest examples of strife in a church, of divisions among the people. And so it's a good book to look at, and how do you handle that? What does Paul say about that? But he also deals with that here uh, in the Roman church, where he talks about uh, this. He says, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. He said, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And that was one of the things that was written. Uh, you know, even if you look at uh, the life of Daniel when they were taken um, uh, by uh, the Babylons, many of the the wise people, uh, the young people that were good, uh, were taken um, as exiles back to Babylon to work for the king and. They had all these things before them for them to eat. And, and Daniel and his brother, we, we can't eat that. And he gives a test and says, look, you guys eat your stuff and drink your stuff. And we'll eat and drink our stuff. And whoever comes out better on the end. You know, part of that, some even there's a thing called the Daniel fast, where you do just follow those things uh, for weight loss. Um but here we have have this issue in the church. Some believe, hey, we can eat whatever we want. Some believe, eh, we can only eat this. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the ones who eat, for God has welcomed him. We're talking believer to believer. This isn't believer, unbeliever. This is believer to believer. Two differing viewpoints within the church that are butting heads, and it's affecting the relationship of uh, the, the members there, and it affects the church as a whole. As Paul said, when one suffers, all suffer. We're one body, many parts. When one part suffers, we all suffer. So they're butting heads on this. He also says um, this. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? If it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So his second argument, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So this can even hail to um, the Sabbath. Uh, when we talk about keeping the, the, the Sabbath holy, the commandment of God, well, the Sabbath is actually not today. Um, Sabbath would be sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday. That's that's the the regular Sabbath. We don't honor that. We celebrate Christ's day as Sunday, as the day that He rose from the dead, as the day uh, of the Lord. But and you might have some in that party. So some are saying, "Hey, one day is better than another." 
One esteems all day as the same. They're arguing over this. There's strife, uh, butting heads. And Paul says, look, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So you have these two opposing viewpoints, and Paul's solution is, look, we have been given a conscience, all right? And we need to abide by that conscience. And, and, and we try to teach that here, that you need, you need to abide by, by your own conscience. And there are times, and we're going to get into what Paul says, says after this because it, it makes a difference. Um, but some will say you can do this and you can't do this. Uh, it could be differ, differing things in life. You can insert a lot of different things into this passage. That would be fine. We, as we talked about, it could be political issues. It could be masking orders. There's a lot of different things. Well, and specifically, non-sinful issues in terms of they don't go against the word of God. All right. Now he will, and he say, "Live by your conscience." So some of them are saying, "No, we can't eat that." And you live by your conscience. That's right. He will say, "If you go against that, then yeah, you are sinning." But in and of itself, it, it's it's not a thing. But you're living by your conscience, so good. Yes, you're living out your faith. But we're not talking about things that go against Scripture. So you can't insert in here, well, I believe that, hey, this, you know, being with a, a person of the opposite sex before marriage, I believe that's fine. I'm loving another person. That That's not what is being discussed here. You can't insert... Um, things that go against God's will just because you think this is, is right. Um, so I, I want to be specific there. It's not sinful issues. It's not a license to sin. Uh, in chapter 6, Paul already deals with this, talking about the grace that has been given to us by Christ Jesus. And some were thinking, hey, if I sin and get grace, then if I sin more, I get more grace. Great. Bad argument. Um, same thing here. It's a bad argument to think we can insert anything in this portion of Scripture because in our conscience we're thinking it's right. But we're, this is not against God's Word. We're not dealing with things that, that go against Scripture. Uh, that does not change. Sin, is, sin that is called sin in Scripture is always sin. That doesn't change. So I, I want to be very clear on that. Um, and I want to be clear on, on, on one other point in that there are times to be, uh, Paul here saying passing judgment on one another, but there are times in scriptures where we see uh, a rebuke happening or something, and, and, and that is in a sinful situation. Pastor went over that uh, in... Uh, 
I think he went over. He, he might have brought it up, or I might have brought it up at another time. But you have Paul calling out Peter for living his life two different ways in front of two different peoples. So in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, you have Peter who has been told, look, the Gen I have invited the Gentiles in um, from God. God has given him that vision. Look, they're a part of, of the family. And he'll be eating with them and doing things with them. And then it says people from the circumcised party came in and he completely separated himself from the Gentiles and lived completely different. He was living one way in front of one people, another way in front of another people, um, without really giving the truth. And Paul says, look, you can't be doing that. Um, so there are times in Scripture where we need to rebuke. Uh, sometimes I see this taken out of portion where it says, hey, you can't pass judgment on me. You can't say, but in sinful areas of our lives, Christians should be coming to us and saying, look, in a respectful and loving way, this isn't what God's word says. You, you call yourself a Christian, but you're living like this, or you're doing this, or you're behaving in this way, or you're acting acting in this way. There are times for rebuke. There are times where we do need to be holding one another accountable to our actions. And, and that's not what Paul's getting at in this portion. So there are those instances, but he's talking about these peripheral things on passing judgment and looking down and thinking of yourself, well, they do this. I'm I'm not like them, kind of like the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'm not like that person. Or, you know, I'm a better Christian than them because they do this, and I do that. Or I don't do that. that that's, that's not being a follower of Christ. That's not living lovingly, and that's what Paul is getting at in this portion. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Verse 10. Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account on himself, of himself to God. Paul reminds them, look, to live by your conscience, yes, we, we need to be doing that. Um, but don't be despising your brother. Don't be at odds with one another because he thinks this or he thinks that. For for our context, it would be, you know, some might be Republicans, some might be Democrats. And I've, I've seen this issue in, in many churches, and our church included, where there's there's tension because of that. And people would say, I don't want to go there because they, they do this. You know what gets a lot of people in trouble? Facebook. Because they post certain things or they share certain things or they do certain and it. They might not even know they have offended somebody, but somebody looks at that, makes a judgment against that person and says, oh, they did, they posted this or they did this. And you're casting judgment on one another in, in those times and you're looking at them differently and you're thinking, you're putting in the midst in this category and you're forgetting, look, they're another brother or sister in Christ. Where's Where's grace? Where's love? Where's patience? Where's kindness? Where's gentleness? Where are these things in our lives? And a lot of times what I see is instead of trying to 
go to that person and talk to that person, it's easier, and the world has told us, it's just easier to walk away. Don't deal with it. And I've, I've seen that happen in the church. I've seen that happen among believers where friendships just cease to exist. And some people, you got, I don't know why. Well, maybe you should go and be the person and say, hey, I don't know what happened, but can we talk? Can we discuss this? Or even, you know, I was looking at this and this bothered me. Can we talk about that? Each of us will give an account of himself to God. And Paul goes further in this. Do not cause another to stumble. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You read that again. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Going back to the food issue, nothing is unclean in and of itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So the brother that thinks it's unclean, it's, he, he's convinced in his conscience this is, this is right. He needs to live by that. It's, so he's saying, hey, look, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. He's saying, look, this is the, the stronger brother and the weaker brother. Look, nothing is, is unclean in of, of itself, but he might think, it's unclean, and for him it is. And if you're just going to shove it in his face and do what you want to do because you know it's not unclean, and you're demanding your rights and saying, no, look, I can do this, but not thinking of the other person, there's a problem. And it's a heart issue in your own life. If you're not looking at others, it goes back to what Paul said. Look, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but esteem others as greater than yourself. He calls on the stronger brother to give up your right to be loving to your brother. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We live in a world that looks at the church and thinks, they are so messed up. They don't have anything right. Why, why would we give any credence to what they believe? Right now, the church is a big mocking point because many don't believe. Look, it's our right not to mask. It's our, The government can't do their... Like I said, there's times to stand up. I don't believe the time is now for, for some things. And there are other instances where, yes, it might be necessary, and those are things to be talked about and to be convinced in your own conscience. Look, yes, this goes against God's word. But are we living our lives before our, our fellow brethren 
our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that is glorifying God and honoring God, or is it bringing shame upon him? Are we living in a world that doesn't desire God to be a light to the world, but are we being a light, or are we, we casting shadows? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is where I said before, look, if your conscience tells you, don't do this, don't do it. But at the same time, there may be others who's, who's and this we're talking about non-sin issues here. This isn't it's a sin issue, yes, it needs to be addressed, it needs to be dealt with in our own lives and the lives of others. Loving thing to do is to come before your brothers or sisters. Matthew 18 talks about that. And Matthew 18 is if you haven't read it in a while, read it again because it's how do we deal with conflict? If somebody sins against us, or we felt wrong by somebody what do we do do we walk away don't worry about it no we are supposed to go to them it says if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother but if he does not listen take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three so this isn't just you know hey look we've been noticing this and it's not just me it's it's this person and this person look Something's wrong here. And you go to them. And if they still don't listen, uh, let him be as a Gentile tax collector. He says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say, word, if two, or two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them in my Father, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Talking about dealing with conflict among each other. Go to them. So we end this morning with this. Our example is Christ. Our example is Christ. We who are strong, starting in, in chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak. This is another one of those areas where you need to be really careful of not esteeming yourself more highly than you ought to. Because you may be the strong brother in this situation, you may be the weak brother in this situation. This isn't you're always the strong one. You're always this. This is be you know be careful and look at your own heart and look at the word of God. But he says we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. It's the unnatural thing that God calls us to do: to give up what is our rights. To give our rights up for others. Because that's what Christ did. Let each of us 
please uh, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for christ did not please himself but as it is written the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever was written in former days was written with our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope May the god of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with christ jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, after having said all of those things, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul is very concerned about these things in the, in the life of a believer because he knows what God has done and he wants to see the church thrive and he wants to see the people of God live lives to glorify God so that others look at the, the, the people in the church and they see Christ and they're convinced of the goodness and the grace and, and the love that is exhibited. Even as Christ said, love one another. they will know you're my disciples if you love one another. By your love for one another, the world will know that you are different. But oftentimes, we as the church aren't seen so much as loving. We're seen in different lights. And a lot of it deals with sometimes the internal conflict that we have that, that isn't being dealt with. And the way to deal with it, Paul is saying, is, look, these are the things. Give up your rights. Yes, that may be true. Yes, there's no unclean food. I agree with you. But look, you're not loving your brother if, if you're continuing to do it and not thinking about him. You're not living like, like Christ. Paul in, in the Philippian church, Philippians 2. We'll stop with this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being this, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is that portion where I said, God, Jesus at any point could have said, don't you know who I am? He could have, he could have, he could have stopped it. He could have said, but he gave up his rights. Because before the foundations of the earth were formed, this was destined for him to do on behalf of us. It says, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We're looking forward to that this morning, and as we go and, and celebrate Christmas, we're looking forward to him in that thing, taking being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. And exactly as Paul tells us in Philippians, there was so many times where you could have done something entirely different, but being obedient to the Father, to, to who you are, your character, you're always holy and righteous and good and loving. And so you provided a way for us by, by coming down and being born like us, living like us, being helpless like us, but yet without sin in your life, perfectly obeying the law, fulfilling all of the righteous requirements that, that we could not who have been tainted with sin. And you did that willingly. You willingly gave those things up, your rights, to be like us, to live like us, to be a, a sacrifice given so that we would have the opportunity to believe on you and be called the children of God, to be given the, the rights and privileges of the firstborn because of, of, of your, your life lived in our place and, and, and you being hung on a cross, death by a cross for us, taking our place, which was the judgment for sin that uh, God told Adam, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. But no longer separated from you because of Christ. We thank you. Father, help us to live our lives as he lived, loving others, esteeming others greater than ourselves, to live an unnatural life, to live in the newness of life that you have given us and not in the old self, as, as Paul would phrase it elsewhere. To put on the, the whole armor of God each and every day. To be a light in a dark world. To glorify you in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.